It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Rick Broering. It is presented, as always, by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. We'll talk about some sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and much, much more. Rick, uh, we're about to, to turn to a new year. Has it been a good 2021 for you? It has been, but you know what really sucks is moving. <laughs> I I'm, I haven't done it in 30-some-odd years, man, and I'm so happy. I moved a bunch as a kid. I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah, it's, it's really just the worst. I, I kind of moved out in the middle of the pandemic and really never even moved out, just started a new life at someone else's house. Right. right. And now my brother is doing the same thing. So we actually have to get all of our stuff out of that old house. And it's, it sucks. I'm sure it does. I mean, and even when you think you're piecemealing it, it still takes a lot of time, especially the big ticket items and the heavy items. That's the pain in the neck. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Not a lot of interesting conversation to be had there, but it sucks. Just wanted you to know that. All right, let's get into our uh, topics here, and we'll start with the Bengals. They have a big game coming up on Sunday, and we'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to go back to something that happened in the Baltimore game that has caused a lot of conversation this week. Certain members of the media, including the Enquirer's Paul Doherty, took exception to the Bengals throwing with a three-score lead late in Sunday's 41-21 win. Skinny, what did you think of the way the Bengals handled themselves at the end of that win? And just as a general philosophy, do you believe pro sports teams should let up on each other? Yeah, I don't, I don't think let up. I mean, the, the one thing I will say is, as everybody has a long memory, and it feels like this is going back and forth between the two teams. I think it started with the Bengals kicking that field goal to avert the shutout last year, and then Baltimore came in here and, and curb stopped the Bengals in the last game of the year, where the Bengals, you know, literally were, were minus a bunch of players and um, kind of a semi, seeming meaningless last game. Baltimore didn't treat it as such, nor should they have, um, and they ran for four hundred plus yards. They did what they do best, which is keep running. I disagree with Paul's premise, and I've read it. And and he sat next to me in the press conference, and he had let he Jay Morris and I were on either side of him. We both kind of chuckled because he let out a really audible groan when asked about you know still throwing up late. And he said, you know, we want to develop a killer instinct. And he literally did under his breath. We heard him. He said, "Oh, give me a break." Um, so I don't think he liked that part of it. I I don't think it's very smart because I think there's a couple times I thought Joe was going to get hurt, and if he'd have gotten hurt, then then the pitchforks should have been out for Zach Taylor at that point. If if you're doing that just to set a record or get over 500 yards, which I truly think he was. I mean, I asked him the question point blank. Did you know? He said he didn't, but other guys indicated that they all did know how close Joe, Joe was to 500 yards. Just admit that that, that, that's fine. But um, yeah, I don't know if it's, I I don't buy the hip that he was trying to develop a killer instinct either. I think they were trying to get Joe Burrow 500 yards. That's fine. Just say that. I'm I'm okay with that. Um, I don't think it's very smart is what I'll go with that. I, I, you know, you, you expose your quarterback to a couple of unnecessary hits that could have turned maybe tragic to be quite frank. Yes, King, the Bengals led 34-21 with just to start the fourth quarter, basically. And Doherty wrote that at that point, anyone who watched the game for more than a few minutes knew there was zero chance Baltimore's offense was going to catch Burrow on this day. I'm sorry, this is the NFL. I I don't care if anybody is out or the other team is on to their sixth and seventh string defensive backs. A two-score game is not enough in the NFL. It gets to three. It's a little bit different. But for the entire fourth quarter, 
That's still a ton of yeah, time. No, I, I, yeah. The Bengals never scored another yeah, was, touchdown no. after they were up by three scores. They went for a field goal and they kneeled the clock out. So, yeah, they were throwing. Well, the they, they kneeled the uh, Right. They kneeled the clock out after the 52-yard pass to Mixon that got Joe Burrow over 500 yards. That's the only time I really question it is, do you really need to be throwing then? Right. And that's fair. And you could question the rest of that possession they were throwing too and, and wondering why they're doing that until they finally kneeled it out. But if to the point of they were going for 500 yards, it's not like they drew up a 52-yard bomb downfield to Joe Mixon on that play. That was Joe Burrow making something happen on a broken play. And, and allegedly, he was told to throw the ball away. So, I mean, this whole thing of, like, the Bengals are are not acting like they've been there before and playing with too much confidence and swagger, whatever old white terms Doc used to describe this team, is just weird to me. Like, I, I don't understand that at all. I don't think they've acted that way at all. They're the least penalized team in the NFL. I don't think this is like a team with a maturity issue or a discipline issue. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think there's something to these two teams have got a little bad blood going between them. They keep smiling through. It's almost like they're smiling and going, I hate you so much. I just, and I think it, I think it did start with the field goal that the Bengals kicked and then Baltimore got him back with the 400 yards rushing and the Bengals went and kicked their ass in Baltimore. Then Wink Martindale makes his gold jacket comment, which really didn't offend me a whole lot. But if Joe Burrow needs that for some level of motivation, all right, good for you, Joe. Take the motivation and run with it. Um, and yeah, well, I know they didn't drop the 52-yard play to Joe Mixon. I truly think, Rick, they were going to throw till they got him over 500 yards. And okay, like I said, just admit that part of it. Just say, listen, we were that close to having a guy go over 500 yards and set a franchise record. We thought it was something that we we, we wanted to accomplish on this day because we were so close to doing that. I'm fine with that. I got no problem. I just think the thing to me is, is it, I don't want to expose Joe Burrow to unnecessary hits. And I even had a couple of friends of mine that don't have a problem with it. They even said, man, there's a couple times Burrow got hit when they were still throwing that I wish Brandon Allen was in handing off. And I said, yeah, I agree with you. I think he probably, I think I said that Sunday night. I think Brandon Allen probably should have been in the game, handing the ball off and calling it a day when you're up 41, 21. And that part of it's fair. If your whole argument is, Hey, Joe Burrow could have gotten injured. They shouldn't have had him dropping back. I'm willing to listen to that at the same time. Joe Burrow could get hurt at any point in the game. It's part of the sport. I, I think these guys, you got to let them play. You know, I mean, like th th that's part of what's fun about sports is going out there and be able to set a record, be able to bury your opponent like that. I, if I were the Bengals, I would have been picking up more taunting penalties, honestly, with the way they were beating the Ravens. I, here's what I don't understand. Isn't this exactly what we ask athletes to do? Isn't this the best part of rivalries of sports? They're yes. not trash talking each other a whole bunch. They're not showing each other up a whole bunch. They're going out and letting their play do the talking and embarrassing each other on the field and maybe exchanging a sly bar back and forth in press conferences. But like when asked directly, none of these guys are showboating or, or, or talking down about their opponent. I mean, it's, it's like a healthy, respectful rivalry. I, I think this is exactly what you want out of sports. Yeah. I'm going to find the Joe Burrow quote that, that uh, from, from his press conference yesterday that I, I kind of chuckled. Yeah, here it is. He was asked, I think Jeff Hobson asked him this. He says, when you watch the tape of the game on Sunday, and I like the way Jeff phrases the 525. That's all he said. The 525. Was there anything that struck you or surprised you? Here's Burrow. And he did it deadpan with a little wry smile. No, I think we all knew what happened on the field. I, I, I kind of like that. Exactly. And then like his comment about uh, Don, by the way, his name's not wink to me. He's a grown man in his 60s. who's given up a thousand yards to Joe Burrow this year. His name is Don. Not no, wink. He's, I'm not calling he, him he, wink. He should be wink. He should be a, 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 a television game show host. He's better at that. Maybe he is as a defensive coordinator to me. His whole thing, his whole comment about Joe 
not being a, a future Hall of Famer while it's not an egregious comment. Or no, no, he, he, comment. no he, he, he didn't say that. He said, not yet. Not We're not ready to fit him for a gold right. jacket right, yet. Right, and right, that, right. We all know and, what and, he said. And, and Burrow, Burrow, I thought, had the right answer to that, where he said exactly. that he just thought it was unnecessary. And it was unnecessary. That's exactly what I was trying to get to, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, back to your original comment. I I, I, I get Doc. He's a curmudgeon, and, and I, I've always enjoyed his work, and I enjoy the fact that he takes a stance. And obviously, we're talking about it, and that's what good columnists do. I just don't know if that's what you took out. If that's, if that's the column you're writing out of that game, the one column, I, I just don't know if that's the column you're writing. I really don't. Is that what the takeaway from that win was? That's so bizarre. And it's like the idea that I'm not a fan of your sports team, so I don't have to write about the good things that they do or whatever. That's fine. I understand that. But the goal of the columnist, I would think, should be to capture the, the city and, and like the what people want to read about or hear about. If you think that is connecting with the city somehow, and, and granted, you're right, we are talking about it, but really? That's what this city wants to read after a game like that is you complaining about, I, I really don't even know what really just yelling at the clouds. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That, like, listen, if, if they were doing silly stuff on a four and 11 team um, in a, in a meaningless game, then yes, act like you've been there. But I think there is a little bit to the killer instinct part of it, of put your foot on the gas and don't let up. And I'm, I, I kind of get some of that. The fact that you kind of, the last three games against your 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 well, two of your main rivals, obviously Cleveland being the other one. The last three games you've played, you've hung forty one on them each time. You're almost trying to signify to yourselves too that hey, there's a changing of the guard, and we are changing the guard, and we're going to do it in a big time way and show you that we are now the team to beat. I got no problem with that part of it. Like again, I, I think you and I are pretty much on the same page. I just would not have exposed Joe Burrow to potential injury in, in, and that, in, in a meaningless circumstance. That's the only thing. And that's the only argument I'm willing to listen to here. Anything to the notion of you should have started running the ball or, or kneeling earlier. Or anything about well, well. Here's the thing: should, should, Bal- should Baltimore have started throwing the ball last year when they were running for over 400 yards instead of continuing to run it? Regardless. The idea that you need to stop playing in professional sports because the other team isn't good enough is insane. They're making Agreed. millions of dollars. They'll Agreed. be fine. Agreed. There's no such thing as like rubbing it into your opponent at the professional sports level. That's just a silly, silly juvenile. Well, the, the, only, the only one that ever did was, was Sam Weiss did rub it in Jerry Glanville's face where he took a timeout with just meager seconds to go in a game to kick a field goal to go up 61 to seven. That was clear. And then he waved at him as he went off the field. They had bad blood. And that was like, I am going to rub this in it on you. And he did. Hey, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. What I'm saying is the idea that anyone should be bothered by it at the professional level is just embarrassing. It's something you say in a third grade basketball game, not in the NFL. Yeah. And even at 34, 21, you're right. I mean, it's still a football game. I mean, it, it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that idea that like the whole fourth quarter, the Bengals should have stopped trying is just stupid. It, that sounds like someone who's never watched the NFL before. Yeah, I mean, it takes one weird bounce of a ball. I mean, I thought they, they had the Jets game in the bag, even after the Jets came back to 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 to, uh, to cut the lead. And then all of a sudden, Joe Burrow throws a fluky interception to a defensive end. And voila, you lose. They were up. 11. Remember, they were up 11 in that game in the fourth quarter. Exactly. All right, let's get on to what's going on this week. They will play the number one overall seed in the AFC, Kansas City, on Sunday at 1 p.m. in a game that can be seen on Local 12. The Chiefs are 11-4 and and have already clinched the AFC West after reeling off eight straight wins, including last week's 36-10 thumping of Pittsburgh. Skinny, what would a win in this spot say about this year's Bengals team? 
that they're a legit contender to win the AFC. Um, you know, you get a chance to signify and clinch the AFC North. That's that's the the first and foremost out of this win and what it would mean. But the second one would be you're beating a Kansas City team that we all thought when the year started, well, at least I thought, was the best team in maybe the NFL, certainly the AFC. They didn't prove it for a chunk of the season. Then all of a sudden they're proving that they are on both sides of the ball where they're scoring again at will. Their defense is probably the best it's been in the last three years on, on those superb teams that they've had. And, and you're catching them at a hot time. And if you do this and you clinch the North and win this game, <clears throat> I mean, I'd be honest with you, Rick, at that point, yeah, you'd have to probably go play Kansas City on the road to get through them to, to 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 win the AFC. But to beat Kansas City in a hot time where they're still playing for some things and they're playing extraordinarily well on both sides of the ball and they're fairly healthy, I can't help but think that that doesn't say you you aren't a contender this year in the AFC. Yeah, not just a contender. I mean, do you all of a sudden become... I don't know if it's the favorites, probably not the right. No, word, because but, you'd still have to go through. You, you'd still have to go to Kansas City in all likelihood, though. That's the only issue. Right, exactly. Uh, but maybe most dangerous or, again, probably not most feared. That's still probably Kansas City. But if you win this game against the hottest team and what looks to be the best team in the AFC, it changes the way te- other teams are looking at you when you come into the first round of the playoffs. And maybe the way you're looking at yourself. It should. Yeah. No, you know, it, when you if, if you do this, I mean, I would look around and go, who's better? Obviously, Kansas City isn't right now. Is Are the Colts? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I, I don't think they are. Tennessee? New England? Um, uh, Buffalo? Who's better? That's not to say on a every night basis, the Bengals would beat all these teams or that they could even win more than another game or two out of 10 against the Kansas city chiefs. If they're able to pull this off, things happen in the NFL, you know, teams win games, but it, it just says a lot about this team coming down the stretch here. They've had some big games that they needed to win. that They've been able to pull off of late. You win this one that I think everyone is I don't want to say people aren't giving the Bengals a chance, but let's face it. Most everyone expects the Chiefs to win this game. Yeah, it should change your opinion about yourselves, and it's definitely going to change the opinion of everyone that you're about to play in the playoffs. Yeah, agreed. All right, Skinny, let's get on to the big game of the weekend on the college football side of things. The Cincinnati Bearcats will take on Alabama on Friday afternoon at 3.30 p.m. in the Cotton Bowl the winner will get to play in the college football playoff national championship. I'll ask it very simply. Do you think Cincinnati has a realistic chance to take down Alabama? I absolutely do. Um, and you were on the set because you taped part of the segment for our special as well. And hopefully uh, people, if you're listening to this before we have it on the air, it's on the air tonight on Channel 12, our, our Bearcat special. And I, I had three keys, and you can certainly expound on these and, and add others if you want, Rick, but my three keys were put Sauce Gardner on Jamison Williams and just forget about it. And I think it's a great matchup there. I think your strength, which is past defense, is their strength, which is past offense. Um, I do think Desmond Ritter is going to have to do some things in unscripted fashion because he is going to get pressured. It's what Alabama's good at. You're going to have a hard time running it against Alabama. They're only giving up two point, I think, two yards per carry. Now, some of that's sack related because sack yardage goes against rushing in, in college football, but still, that still speaks volumes that they're hard to run the ball against. And, and then the other thing is, if you can, you know, if if you can have Sauce Gardner 
lock up Jamison Williams, and you can have Kobe Bryant play man coverage on the other side. You can bring a bunch of blitz pressures and, and really get into Bryce Young and belt Bryce Young around a little bit. Auburn had great success rushing Bryce Young. Texas A&M had great success rushing Bryce Young, and, and Texas A&M beat them, and Auburn should have beaten them. So Auburn's defense certainly played well enough to win. Uh, so those were my three keys, and I, and I truly think when I start – talking out loud about those things that you see in, in every circumstance that Desmond Ritter is capable of making unscripted plays with his feet, that you can get some pressures on by playing a lot more man coverage. And you do have a lockdown corner who can take care of a, a guy averaging 21 yards a catch. And with no John Mechie, who's got 96 catches, you drop down to the next get best guys, got 30 some odd receptions. So you're talking about how much they play Jamison Williams and John Mechie. They play him a ton. They've combined for 160 catches on the year and you're missing 96 of those catches. So I, I really do think they got a chance, Rick. Yeah, for those who aren't aware, John Mechie, the guy who everyone thought was Alabama's top receiver coming into the season. Uh, now, Jamison Williams has actually put up slightly better statistics on the year, but still, Mechie, one of their top guys, clearly tore his ACL in the SEC championship game. So a big blow there. I think you have the big keys right. I, I, everything you mentioned is UC's path to winning the game. I think there's... One thing that really stands out for me, and it's the run game on both sides of the ball. If UC is able to run the ball with Jerome Ford, and I know he doesn't want to be called the Alabama transfer anymore, but let's face <laughs> it, this is a massive game for him. I mean, you know he wants to sure. just kill it in, in this opportunity to get this chance. When he left Alabama to UC, this is a chance he'd never thought he'd get, I'm sure, to have this opportunity pretty special you have that in the back of your mind I think when you're looking at this game like what if he does go off against his old team and he's just got a little extra juice and and if UC's line is able to hold their own and open up some holes for him in the run game to where Desmond Ritter has the opportunity to make some plays particularly with his legs which I think is a big key like you pointed out but he's not forced to make big plays and he doesn't have the front four of Alabama pinning their ears back, coming downhill at him. He's able to keep them off balance a little bit because he's ahead of the, the sticks on offense. I think that's a huge key. And then on the flip side, same thing for Alabama. You're not going to put any pressure on Bryce Young, and you're not going to slow down that passing game if you're letting him run all over you too. You've got to put some pressure on him on long third downs by getting them behind the sticks in the run game and slowing down their rushing attack. I think that's going to be really difficult for UC. Their defense is very good. I'm not sure if they can stop Alabama's run game, which is not their strength, but that offensive line is still big time. And I think it changes the game whether or not you can slow down that rushing attack. Yeah, I I, I, I just I, I feel really good about it. I, I do. I, I probably shouldn't. Um... I just love the matchup for UC. I think they match up extremely well with this Alabama team. And Alabama's proven vulnerable all year. You know, this is an invincible Alabama. And I think we, we all get locked up into, oh my God, it's Alabama. This is Alabama that also struggled to beat Florida, 31-29. Lost to Texas A&M, which is garbage. Um, really, remember the Tennessee game, the the, the big parlay you're, you're future wife hit it was 28 24 going to the fourth quarter when they pulled away to win 52 24 they struggled with god-awful lsu to win only 20 to 14 and they should have lost to auburn i mean they're a vulnerable team in my opinion yeah and i don't think that gets talked about enough because of the way they finished up the season by beating georgia which looked unbeatable for you know 17 weeks of the season or whatever it was and bama, and bama was great that day tip of the cap yeah they were outstanding do you think that 
some of those close calls throughout the season, Alabama has learned or gotten better since those? Or do you think actually with an injury to John Mechie, they're, they're probably a little worse than they were in some of those games? Yeah, and that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I even forgot about the game before the Auburn game. They beat Arkansas 42-35, so their defense gave up some stuff there. I, I think this, I think Nick Saban is obviously a great coach, and when he's got a little extra time to prepare, he's really dangerous, and that's a little danger here, in my opinion. Um, but I also think that for whatever reason, it seems like he's got Kirby Smart's number, and maybe that's all that was, was just they they match up well with Georgia. And Bryce Young was great that day. Listen, he's a really good quarterback, and when really good quarterbacks get hot, and he was extraordinarily hot, it's hard for any defense to slow them down. So, um, you know, again, this is certainly not going to be like playing Tulsa, for goodness sakes. It's still Alabama, and it's still Alabama that's number one in the college football playoff ranking going in. But I think this UC team is really, really good, and they've proven it. On the UC side, you think back to the Indiana game. They fell behind by a couple scores in that one, got off to an ugly start, seemed like they were bothered by some of the noise in the environment. Then they play at Notre Dame, and they got a big lead in the first half against Notre Dame, but that all came in the second quarter. Their first three drives went nowhere. Again, it seemed like they were a little bothered by the, the big environment. Do you think that comes to play at all in this game? Do you Are you worried at all about UC getting off to a slow start? No, because now now I, I think for some of this, there was just so much pressure on the going undefeated. And then when you got through your two big roadblocks, especially the biggest of the roadblocks with Notre Dame, and then there was kind of that lull of a letdown of, of not being challenged. And then when they got challenged, starting with SMU, and then at East Carolina, and then Houston, they met the challenge. So I, I don't. I, I think you're now in house money time. You're now on, hey. We got to where we wanted to get to. Now let's enjoy the moment and go play. I, I think I think there's a big part of that. I don't think there's any pressure on UC whatsoever. I think there was, you know, those games in particular, the two roadblock games on the road, and then once you knew, okay, we're through those, and now we got to just stay unbeaten. And I think that's still really hard to do when all that pressure is on you. And when they were finally challenged and they knew they were challenged those last three games, they met the challenge. And I, I think they'll be just fine in that regard. I definitely don't worry at all about some of those later AAC matchups where everyone wanted them to win by 30 and they were only winning by, you know, two scores or whatever it was. And we were seeing that as an indictment on the team somehow that doesn't concern me at all, but I do just wonder with this offense and with Desmond Ritter, is there something to, Hey, they haven't played in a ton of environments like this, you know, is, is it, it, it has to be difficult for any college football player playing in the college football playoff semifinals to maintain their emotions and come out and, and be focused and all that type of stuff. I know everyone's going to be ready to play and, and excited to play, but can you control those emotions and do what you're, you're there to do? And that's what I'm most interested about in, in terms of the first, you know, eight or so minutes after that, I don't think it matters at all. And you see, you'll be fine, but those first several minutes can matter. In a game like this, if you have a turnover or you give up an early score because you're just not quite there or you make a, a critical mistake on third down that is a penalty that gives them a first down, stuff like that can change the game if you're trying to pull off an upset like this. So I think them handling those early emotions and, and early nerves will, will definitely be a, be a big part of this one. 
Yeah, I do think the fact that a core of these guys played in the Peach Bowl game with Georgia last year has got to help. I mean, obviously the stakes weren't nearly as high, but it was still a major SEC team kind of playing on their turf, if you will, in Atlanta. So you're you're close to their home base. Um, I think the fact that a good chunk of these guys went through that environment is going to help here too. And, And the Notre Dame environment. Yeah, no, I think those two games, the Indiana game as, you know, the fact that Indiana ended up stinking doesn't change how important that game was at the time and the atmosphere there was for it. So I think both of those games, that and the Notre Dame game, definitely paid dividends and and helped prepare them at least to some extent for this. Yep. All right, Skinny, let's get into our betting segment where last week I hope people were following us, which typically they don't. Uh, We both went six and two. We actually had the same pick on every game, so there wasn't even an opportunity for any separation, but we both did well. Uh, We are still one game apart. I'm 99, 91, and two overall. You are 98, 92, and two overall. No Thursday night game this week, but we do have a couple of Friday bowl games. We'll start with that Cincinnati-Alabama game that we've been talking about. Bama is a 13.5-point favorite. The total is 57.5. I, I love UC getting the points here. I I, I honestly, I, I I went today and made a parlay on them on the money line with a couple other games, So I, I and I, I took them on the points as well. I, I still, the, the, the total feels high to me, even though you still have that high-powered Alabama offense. I think Nick Saban will get a little more conservative in this, and, and he does, and he's, he's he's probably right to do so. He doesn't want to take silly chances in a in a game like this, so I don't think they'll they'll be overly risky with stuff. Uh, and again, I think the loss of John Mechie is just huge. I'm going to go UC 27, Alabama 24. So UC outright and the under for me. I'm with you on the total being the play I feel most comfortable about here. I mean, the idea that UC could give up. Like my total right here is Alabama 35, UC 21. The idea that UC can give up 35 points, lose by the spread, let Alabama cover and still and be under and still be under is yeah. like that's that just seems like a lot for me, especially against this defense. And I'm with you. If you look back at Alabama, the last five college football playoff semifinal games that they've played in. The total has gone under in every one. They haven't been putting up a ton of points in those games. And granted, usually they have a pretty big total, like 57 and and a half. And and they've had dominant defenses. I think this is a really good Alabama defense. I don't know if it's a dominant Alabama defense. And I think that factored into it as well. That's fair. But I do think both teams are good defensively. And UC is very good defensively. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you on. I think Saban will play it pretty conservative. I think they'll have a lot of respect for UC. uh, But I'll still take Alabama win by the spread 35 21 for me bama and the under friday 7 30 we've got the other semifinal game it's georgia and michigan georgia is a seven and a half point favorite the total is 45 yeah i'm not thrilled with the seven and a half i would probably bet it down to six and a half but i still like georgia and i still love their defense and i think the alabama game was a one-off and i'm listen michigan god love them they were impressive down the stretch of the season for sure um especially uh, both sides of the ball i guess really but especially offensively but I, I think this is all Georgia in this one. I'm going to go Georgia 30, Michigan 14. So Georgia and the under for me. <laughs> That's funny. I had it 34-14, Georgia. And so I do have it hitting the over. You were just under. It's funny. I feel like this game has a better chance to be a blowout than the UC Bama game for some reason. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I just... 
I've seen Michigan against good defenses really kind of wobble, and this is tons and away the best defense they faced all year. Yeah, and I just I'm not really buying the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten was a bit of a fraud this year. I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with you. Although Maryland got a big win in a bowl game over Virginia Tech, and uh, Minnesota did beat West Virginia again. These are some of the lesser bowls, obviously, but uh, I'm kind of with you though in what you're saying. Yeah, well, I, I should mention that I think the Big 12 is an even bigger fraud. So ah, good call. Um, speaking of frauds in the Big 10, Iowa will play Kentucky in a bowl game Saturday at 1 p.m. I don't even know what bowl that is. Is it the Citrus Bowl? or That's the Citrus Bowl yeah. in, in, I believe, Orlando. Kentucky is a three-point favorite. The total is 44. Yeah, every member of my family but me is going to this bowl game, by the way, which kind of sucks for oh, me. That's right, because your daughter's working down there. Yep, she is, yeah. and they're all going to visit her, so they're going to go to the bowl game as well. That's uh, smart. You, you know where my heart lies here, and I think I'm going to go with my head as well. I, I think Kentucky just beats the daylights out of Iowa. They they had a couple of guys that could have opted out of the bowl. They had a coach who got a head coaching job, John Sumrall. He wanted to come back and coach in the bowl, and he admitted, he goes, I want to coach DeAndre Square one more time. And I think they're all committed to this bowl game, and you can't say that about a lot of teams when they go to a bowl. Um, so I think it's important to them. I think it's really important to, to them that they get a 10th win um, again. And, and so I, I think they're I think they're the better team than Iowa. I think they're playing with a purpose in this game. I'll go Kentucky 31, Iowa 17. So Kentucky and the over for me. Yeah, I like Kentucky here too. Like I think Iowa is the perfect example of the Big Ten's fraudulent behavior this year. I don't think Iowa is very good at all. They are not going to beat themselves. They're going to play conservative. But Kentucky is the more talented team. I think they'll be able to run up some points on them. I'm going Kentucky 24, Iowa 19. So that's cats in the under. On Saturday, 5 p.m., Skinny, we've got Utah and Ohio State playing in the Rose Bowl. The Buckeyes are a four-point favorite. The total is 64. Yeah, Ohio State's had some opt-outs, including two really good wide receivers in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. They still have uh, Smith and Jingba playing, and he's very, very good. But you've taken two of the three-headed monster away at wide receiver. I think uh, Petit Freer, the offensive lineman's not playing, and there's another guy that's not playing as well. So they're they've got some opt-outs. Um, you know, does Ohio State, listen, it is the granddaddy. It's the Rose Bowl. It's my favorite bowl of all by far. It still has meaning to me because it's the one I grew up watching as a kid when it meant something. So it still means something to me, but I'll be quite frank. I don't know if it means a lot to Ohio state. They, they, they're playing for championships. They really are. And, and this feels like kind of a letdown spot in Utah. I think it is a big deal for them to be playing in the Rose bowl and they were playing and are playing well towards the end of the season. I, I hate to do it to Ohio state fans. I'm going to go Utah outright here. I'm going to go Utah 30 Ohio state 27. So Utah outright and the under. I like everything you're saying, and and that does sound right to me. I don't think Ohio State cares about this game at all, nor should they. Any bowl game aside from the college football playoff is silly. It's uh, the worst part of college football. No, I love bowl season. I, dude, I watch them all. Sucks. I love bowl. I uh, love bowl season. They're all meaningless. Everything's meaningless except not for to those me. Three games. Oh, that's not great. To me. But it, to all the players, it is as as we've seen. Um, none of them want to play in it, and I don't blame them for that. Utah did beat mighty Oregon who smacked Ohio state as we'll remember they beat them 38 to 10 in their final game of the regular season. So, or excuse me, that was actually in the, uh, the pack 12 championship the Pac-12 championship. I should say, I still don't think they're going to beat Ohio state. I just, I just can't believe it. Um, uh, the pack 12 stinks. I'm going to say Ohio state gets it done, but it's kind of ugly. Let's go 35 to 28. 
Ohio State. So that's Ohio State and the under. Yeah, that 64 just sticks out as way too high for me. And we're probably both going to be wrong because it's going to be 45-42 somebody in a shootout. Uh, that's that's entirely possible. It wouldn't but that, surprise that, that, me. But that, that, that total, I love the under in that game. I do too. With Ohio State having the guys out that they have and then also the fact that they're just going to be sleepwalking anyway is my bet. So, all right, let's move on to the NFL. Sunday at 1 p.m., we've got the Chiefs in Cincinnati playing the Bengals. The Chiefs are a five-point favorite. The total is 51. Yeah, this is probably more, I don't even want to say hard. I don't, I really don't have a huge rooting interest, but I, I, it just feels like this is Cincinnati's time. It really does. And, and listen, winning eight games in a row that Kansas City has, that's so hard to do in the NFL. And I know Miami's won seven in a row, and thanks to a COVID missing guy, they may win an eighth in a row, but it's just, that feels so hard to do in this league. Um, Kansas City's all but wrapped up the one seed. Maybe a little bit of a letdown on the road, playing a team w- with a purpose. I- I'm going to take the Bengals in this one in a bit of a shootout. That total seems really low to me, even though Kansas City's defense hasn't given up, I think, more than 15 points, I don't think, in the last six or seven weeks. I, I still think the Bengals score enough in this game. I'll go Bengals 30, Chiefs 28. So the Bengals outright and the over for me. I like the over here, too. I'm with you on the 51, just not seeming like enough for these two teams and the style of game that I'm anticipating. The Chiefs defense is weird because they don't give up a lot of points, but they don't rank very well in many other categories. Yeah, the thing they've been really good at, especially of late, is taking the ball away from teams. And that's been really the Bengals. In the Bengals' losses, that's where it's cost them. I mean, it always sounds simple about don't turn it over and turn the other team. Well, yeah, that's a simple thing to say. But really, that's been the Bengals' downfall is is really kind of, uh, you know, their own demise for the most part in, in their losses. So I'll go back to don't turn it over, and I think you will move the ball and score points. Well, you combine not wanting to turn it over with the fact that the Chiefs' weak spot is probably their run defense if you're really looking for kind of the, the weak link on their side. And the, uh, also the idea that you don't want to give Patrick Mahomes a bunch of chances, it could make for a more conservative and slower pace of play by the Bengals overall. But that's only if you can get first downs and move it on the ground. If that doesn't work, then, you know, you got to do what you got to do, or you're just going to watch the chiefs put up a ton of points themselves. So I still think it gets over that 51 number. So chiefs and over for me, Bengals and over for you. Yep. Sunday night, 8 20 PM. We've got Vikings at the Packers. The Packers are a six and a half point favorite. The total is 47 and a half. Why does this feel like such a sucker line, right? It really does. I, yeah, I, I mean, the Vikings did win in the first meeting between these teams. Maybe yeah, that's, and, and they're so they're so squirrely. I mean, they, the, some of their losses have just been ridiculous. Um, I think they've lost every game this year by one possession, if I'm not mistaken. I'm looking back through it very quickly here. Yeah, every game this year, Rick, they've lost by one possession. Overtime to the Bengals, one point to the Cardinals, seven points to the Browns, four points to the Cowboys, and overtime to the Ravens by three. Uh, They lost by, well, one possession, lost by eight to the 49ers. That was a one-possession game because they were driving and couldn't convert fourth down. Inexplicably lost to the Lions, then bounced back and and, and beat the Steelers and Bears on the road, and then just lost the one-possession game to the Rams. So I can see that line as a, you know, it feels like a sucker line because Green Bay's six and a half, less than a touchdown at home. And I'm going to get suckered in. I'm, I'm going to go Green Bay 31-20. I think this is this is the game that ends Mike Zimmer's career as head coach in Minnesota, puts them away for because they're still technically alive for a playoff berth. And, and Green Bay is just playing with such a purpose and a, and a focus, and, and especially at home. Uh, Green Bay 31-20. 
I'm with you. We're very similar on the score. I'm going Packers 34, Vikings 21. So Packers and over for both of us. And finally, we have a Monday night game, 8.15 p.m. It's Browns at Steelers. Browns are three and a half point favorite on the road. Total is 41. And uh, Ben Roethlisberger apparently made some mention to this being his last game there or the last time he'll play there, right, uh, which right. is the first real mention we've seen of him retiring after the year, which seemed inevitable, obviously, right, but right. interesting yeah, nonetheless. Yeah, and I think because of that, and I hate to do it because there's a part of me that would root if as a Bengals fan for Cleveland to win to eliminate Pittsburgh, and then you still, no matter what happens with Kansas City, would control your own destiny going to Cleveland, but I would rather not go to Cleveland having to win that game. I, I mean, honestly, just beat Kansas City and be done with it. Right. But I think with that fact, the fact that Pittsburgh's getting points – I, I, I see a low-scoring game here. I'm going to go Steelers outright 20-17. to 17. They win Big Ben's last home game in, in, in just an ugly dogfight, bloody mess. Uh, yeah, Pittsburgh 20-17. to 17. So the Steelers outright, they're getting three and a hook here, outright in the, in the under for me. I don't think they're very good. I don't think Cleveland is either, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's why we're very similar here, too. I've got Steelers 21, Brown 17 here. So Steelers in the under for both of us. I, I think the one thing for me is, well, Steelers, the games that they win, they are all ugly. I mean, the Tennessee game, 1913, the Baltimore game, 20 to 19. Those are their two most recent wins out of the last. Yeah, their offense is horrible. Yeah. So uh, it's if they have a chance, it's going to be an ugly game. So I, I definitely like that underplay. All right. That's it for our betting segment. We've got some ask any anything. Questions. Yeah, before, before you get to those, Rick, uh, let's let's spend a minute on college basketball. Oh, wait, nobody plays. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll just go ahead and skip uh, over that. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'll be honest with you. You got to admit though, that th- this has gotten really weird because it, it feels like we just we we wake up and everybody's canceling every single day, right? Well, it, the weirdest thing is that none of them learned from last year at all. It's like right, they all came in right. this year going, I think we're going to be good, so we don't need to worry about putting anything in place to you know proactively reschedule games or figure out a way that they can schedule non-conference opponents to make up for some of these games. So you don't have two week layoffs for these teams. It's, it's just stupid. I, it I, is stupid. You know, go, if, if you want some basketball talk, go read your lead, latest uh, CDC or WHO recommendations for coronavirus. Cause that's basically all the talk that's going on right now on local message boards for basketball. Yeah, I will say Kentucky did get an impressive win over Missouri and your Norse of NKU do play tonight. Fingers crossed. Yeah, allegedly. This is yeah. we're still uh, s- several hours out from that. So who knows what will happen? But all right. Uh, just a couple of things to get through and ask any anything. And the first one is a major blunder on my part from last week. And so people want to uh, revisit something that you said. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that you will occasionally put deodorant on the outside of your underwear. That is accurate. Yeah. When you get, um, so, so people had some questions and, uh, the first one would be, you're a boxers guy, right? This is new. I'm a briefs guy. Oh, so you're rocking tidy whities with a little, uh, deodorant on the outside. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, the second would be what type of deodorant are we talking? We're not like a roll on, are we? Oh, old spice stick stick. Okay. So then at that point, now that we know what you're working with, are you not worried about like ruining your your shorts or your pants or leaving a, a mark there? Like, no, it, it it it. I mean, it dries fast, dude. That's what do do you put deodorant on your underarms and does it stay sticky and wet all day? No, they, they, but I would just think that little bit like it might 
it might show, you know, like it might come no. through a little, no grease mark on the back or something that doesn't, doesn't show at all. And, and like I said, there's nothing worse than smelling guy with swamp ass. There's just nothing worse. There's really nothing. So this is just a purely preventative yes. over the top thing by you. You're not like is, a big swamp that, ass guy. Or no, I'm not. No, I'm not. It's just, it's just an extra layer of protection for lack of a better term. That is. And, and I'm not kidding about this. I really do it. No, I don't think anyone thought you were kidding when they heard it. They were really disappointed with me and not following up and, and demanding more information. I think it took me aback when I first heard it to the point where I was like, I really have nothing to say to that. So I just I mean, kept listen, it moving. The shorts are clean. So I'm putting it on, on, a, on a clean pair of shorts. So I'm not worried about like, you know, putting it on five day old underwear and, and ruining the, the deodorant. So do, it's, it's do going on clean like, shorts. Do you, do you have like a separate, do you have like an ass stick of deodorant and an underwear no, of deodorant? No. Or is it all the same? All the same. Okay. And I go, it, it's underarm, underarm, and then underwear, and then you're done. Have you ever just thought about going directly down the cheeks? Just one swipe? Nah, that's, that's, a, that, that's a little over the top. I feel like that makes a little more sense. It was I, meant I, to go on skin. I know my former radio partner, the week of his wedding, for whatever reason, um, <laughs> and this became a running joke, and he actually brought it to the chapel because I guess he figured he, he was a big, he was a big sweater in his day. He would sweat like crazy. We played softball together. I've never seen a guy go through more t-shirts in a, in a day games than, than that cat went through. But, but Tom Gamble fell in love with gold bond at one point and that became the running gag. So we all had to use gold bond on his wedding day. I, I don't think I'll ever use gold bond again. What? I mean, doesn't that just smell though? Doesn't that smell? No, like, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't smell or something. Yeah, no, it doesn't smell. It just, I thought I just, Gold Bond had that like medicated smell to it. You may be able to get some with medicated smell, but this one did not smell. So it's just no no scent at all, just unscented. Correct. Yeah, just just kind of it just I guess. And what there, he's just doing that to stay dry? Is that what he's stay dry? For? Yeah, that that's correct. Okay, that's correct. I, I thought guess it, Gold Bond had maybe I'm thinking of Icy. I thought it had that little like uh, Icy Hot definitely has sensation. a smell. Yeah, oh, Icy yeah. Hot definitely does. Yes. Yeah, Gold Bond has a little tingling sensation to it. It does. Okay. Yeah, yeah I thought yeah, it would, like yeah, give you a little does. cool sensation. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I did my best, folks. I don't know what else I have other than that. That's pretty much all the questions I could think okay. of about your routine. But yeah, people were very mad at me about that. So well, I apologize. I, I want to let people know. Try to step it up as a journalist going forward. Um, <laughs> our buddy Jed <laughs> made a, a comment or a question, said that on KSR, they were debating whether there are more chairs or pairs of socks in the world. Skinny, where do you come out on this? More chairs or pairs of socks? I'm going to say pairs of socks by far. I, I mean, it, right now in the room I'm in, there's one chair. I'm trying to count the chairs in my house. Four dining room chairs. Got a living room chair. Got a couple chairs downstairs. That, I'm up to eight. Maybe a chair in each of the kids' rooms still. That's nine. Ten. I'd say we probably got 14 chairs. I have probably 15 to 20 pair of dress socks and probably 20 pair of uh, footies. And another probably 20 pair of, and I don't hardly ever wear them anymore, of, of higher white socks. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go socks. I know at least from my own personal experience, it's definitely socks. Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand how this was a debate. I, I don't either. I'm trying to I, figure that out myself. I, I think clearly, I mean, heck, the Bombas guys, to their credit, they donate every pair of socks you buy to 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 homeless shelters. So they're making a ton of socks. Yeah, and I, I don't want to flex on the rest of the public, but I got like, Probably 50, 60 pairs of socks. Maybe. Yeah, more. I, pro I mean, yeah, I probably do too. I was probably on the lighter estimate of mine too, Rick. I, I, you're probably right. I, I really don't go around counting my socks. I'm kind of just inventorying it off the top of my head. I'm probably in the 50 to 60 category. It's, it's four times as many chairs as we've got in the house. Well, and, and 
then Jed brought up the point, well, does it count? Do you count car seats as like chairs? And I was like, I don't care. Like that doesn't make yeah, even difference there, to me. Yeah. Like, okay, I've got four seats in my car. I've got another no, you really, 40 you, you, pairs of socks. I, yeah, I've, I've only got two seats in my car. Then I got a elongated back seat that really counts as one seat, right? Yeah, I just don't understand how this was ever in question, really. I but don't either. It was I, a big debate. I, yeah, I, I would like to know how the, how the topic came up, to be honest with you. That's the thing. Yeah, I would like to 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 get into a big screaming match about this, but uh, I mean, maybe maybe are on may the logical side of the debate. Maybe one of those guys only has like one or two pairs of socks that he just rotates through. That would be very unhygienic, in my opinion. But maybe that's all he's got. Yeah, you got to have some high quality wool socks to be doing something like that. But either way, I just don't even think it. Even if you've got some weirdos out there that only have a couple pairs of socks, even if there's some less fortunate people who don't really have any socks, you got to right. imagine they don't have a lot of chairs either. That's a good point. I mean, that's what's a legit point. Yeah. So I just, I don't understand how this ever got to this point, but there you go, Jed. That's what I got. Exactly. All right. We all good. Yep. We, I appreciate it. Good stuff. Hopefully we'll talk some college basketball next week. Hopefully we'll still talk about UC football and possibly a national championship game to play and win or lose. We will talk some Bengals as well. And of course we'll have our Bengals post game podcast on Sunday after the game. Rick and I will. So please join us for that. For Rick Roaring. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the skinny podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of prime lending.